Uh, today is the first Sunday of Advent. Advent is the time of waiting. We wait for God to send divine love and light into our dark world. How does this happen? God's light comes through Jesus, <clears throat> who became a human being just like you and I, in order to be the means of restoring us to God. Almighty God, give us grace to cast away the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. A reading from the prophet Isaiah. People from many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob's God. There he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For the Lord's teaching will go out from Zion, his word will go out from Jerusalem. The Lord would, will mediate between nations and will settle international disputes. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will no longer fight against nation nor train for war anymore. The kingdom of God is drawing near. May we prepare our hearts for God's light to bring peace to Jerusalem and to every city and country in our world. Amen. moment and share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship.
great to welcome you on this uh, first Sunday of Advent. We've had a wonderful uh, Thanksgiving week and had the opportunity to spend some time with family and friends, a little bit of uh, relaxation, and of course, giving thanks. There are things happening in the life of our church that I want to highlight. During the season of Advent, we are focusing the daily devotions on uh, the Jesse tree uh, idea, and this is something that's been around for a while. It, uh, each day of Advent is um, something about the Old Testament prophecies, but uh, there are pictures, there are images that are connected with each day of the, uh, of Advent, the Advent season. And uh, the Jesse tree idea is that you take those pictures and make a, some kind of ornament out of them, and then you can put them on a tree or someplace in your house to remind you of the, the lesson that day and of, of the prophecies. And tonight, we're going to be gathering in the community room to help make, begin making these ornaments. We have kits available for everyone, uh, so all you need to bring maybe is a pair of scissors uh, to do some cutting. And we'll give you some, uh, some background information on Jesse Tree and also uh, just some ideas of things that you can do to make the season of Advent even more meaningful. It's a, it's a great family activity, whether your family is... Uh, includes children or you by yourself, uh, it is a, it's a great way to remember and to uh, just engage ourselves in the Advent season. So we hope you'll join us tonight. If you aren't interested in making the ornaments, just come anyway and we'll have some time just to fellowship and, and share it together as well. Next Sunday morning, uh, we gather for worship at 829, 40, and 11. And also the daily devotionals that uh, Mike Jordan has written are in a basket on the back, in the back foyer. Please feel free to take as many of those as you can use. We do need some help with children's church teachers. The last Sundays of December, first Sundays of January, and there's information in the bulletin about that. On December 11th is our annual carol sing. Uh, this is the time when we gather together, sing our favorite Christmas carols. And after that, we're gonna have a cookie reception. And we wanna invite you to come, be a part of that, and bring some cookies. We're also asking this year if you bring some extra cookies, maybe a dozen or two extra, that uh, we'll, one of the small groups is going to bag those up and then distribute those to our food pantry. So it's another way that we can help others. So we, there's information in the bulletin about that as well. If you need Faith Promise cards, those are also in the back, and we encourage you to take one of those and to continue to ask God to uh, what, he wants for, what He wants in our lives to stretch us in our giving through missions this coming year. There are a number of prayer concerns in the bulletin, uh, things connected to us here, as well as things around the world, and we pray for God's grace in each of them. I invite you to please join me in the prayer of confession that is printed in your bulletin. <clears throat> please join me as we pray together. Heavenly Father, too often we choose flickering candles and bulbs over your true light. We choose to hide who we truly are, both the sins that shame us and the potential that frightens us. Too often we choose quick fixes over your true justice. We choose to be right rather than righteous in our countries, our communities, and our covenants. Too often we choose cheap thrills over your true joy. We choose to fill our lives with what we can own or ingest. We choose safety over surprise. Too often we choose our schemes over your plan. We reject leaps of faith in favor of small, secure steps. We reject selfless giving in favor of our own fiscal prudence. We need you so desperately, O oh God. We need your light, your justice, your joy, your plan. Hear us, forgive us, and help us accept you for who you truly are, not what we expect. Amen. The Old Testament scripture reading this morning can be found in Isaiah chapter 52, verses 7 through 9, and in your pew Bibles you can find this on page 730. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices, together they shout for joy. 
When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Please join me in the affirmation of our Christian faith and I see in Creed. We don't have that on the screen. Well, okay. Let's just say the Apostles' Creed together. That's printed on the inside cover of your hymnal. Please stand as we recite this historic affirmation of our faith. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell, The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please join in singing the Gloria Patri as the ushers come to assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings. to know, come knowing that your love reached into this world through your Son becoming one of us. We pray, Father, that as that truth gets deep inside of each of us, it will cause us to be generous people with our resources, our time, our love, our lives. We pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Please be seated.
As we turn to this time of prayer together, if you would like to use the altar as your place of prayer, I invite you to join me. Eternal God, as we begin another Advent season, we pray that you will make us keenly aware of the power and the grace and the love of the coming of Christ. We pray, Father, that as we engage ourselves in this time of year, that you will make us more teachable, we pray that you will change us in every way you know we need to be changed. We pray that you'll give us a hunger for your word and a hunger to engage you in prayer. We come today, Father, from all the various facets of our lives. As we begin this Advent season, in this moment of worship, we take some moments of silence to reflect on who you are and what the coming of Christ means in our lives and in this world. Father, we pray that the Spirit of Christ will so fill us that it changes how we view this world. We pray that you will help us to, to move from, from being people who are thinking about what we can get out of the world and instead thinking about what we can give in this world. We pray, Father, that you will help us to be people who renounce war and embrace peace. People who renounce arrogance and embrace humility. People who renounce hate and apathy and embrace love. We pray, Father, that you will make us keenly aware of the needs of this world. We see the situation in, in Egypt escalating and other places of the world, and we ask that, that you would bring peace. Help the leaders of the nations to, to use wisdom in their response. Keep them from escalating the conflict even more. We know, Father, that in many of these situations, if not all of them, the only way to peace is through you and through your people committed to peace. And so we pray that you will intervene in every situation and that you will fill your people with all that we need to be agents of your peace. Father, we pray that you will keep your gentle care on all who suffer in our world. Be near those who are lonely. Bring food to those who go to bed hungry. Give hope to people who are refugees and displaced. We pray that you will heal all who struggle with illness, and particularly those who are closest to us. Give peace to every person who's worried about the future, and give direction to each of us as we stand on the crossroads of life's uncertainties. We ask, Father, that in your grace, you will reconcile what seems irreconcilable. Encourage when hope seems lost. Provide for needs that just seem far too much. Let all of us 
Let all of our friends and family, let all in this county and state and country, let all of your children in this world be touched by your compassionate love in Christ, the incarnate, the eternal Son, the one in whose name we offer our prayer, from whom we learn the model for prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The New Testament reading is from Mark chapter 13, verses 24 through 37. Please stand for the scripture reading as well as the hymn that follows. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, and he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with his assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. This is the word of the Lord.
So what do you do to prepare for the celebration of Christmas? I suspect that um, you may do some decorating around your house. Maybe on the outside, you might hang some greenery, a few lights from the eaves or something. And on the inside, um, a Christmas tree, the ornaments, lights. Some people have different traditions with that. You know, some people wait until Christmas Eve to put up the tree and decorate it. That actually is an ancient tradition. Others um, put up the tree yesterday, like we did. Um, and probably most people are somewhere in between there. Some point in the next week, two weeks, whatever, things will begin to go up. We've started decorating in here, and thank the people who, who did that. I suspect that maybe some of your, dec- your um, preparations have something to do with what goes on in the kitchen. You know, some uh, Christmas cookies, that was, that's always been our family tradition through the years, and we've continued it since we've been married of uh, cutout cookies and, um, you know, things in little shapes of an ornament or a bell, an angel, a Christmas tree. As a child, we would do that, and we would make the cookies and, you know, have all these cookies spread out, and then we would all frost them. And you had these bowls with different colors of frosting, and I tried to I always tried to make my cookies look as unappetizing as possible when I decorated them, because then nobody else wanted to eat them, and I would get to eat all the cookies that I decorated. It took a while for my family to figure that out, but eventually they did. And, you know, there may be that for you. You may, maybe your tradition is fruitcake, or maybe your tradition is some kind of pastry. There are lots of things that, that we do and traditions and preparations for Christmas. It may be that you go to special music performances, or maybe you have special, a special book or special stories that you read or things that you share as you go through this season of preparation. We do a lot of things to prepare for Christmas, and we should. That's really what Advent is about. It is this time of helping us to prepare for the celebration of Christmas. It is getting our minds starting to focus on this great day in which we celebrate the birth of Christ into this world, Emmanuel, God with us. And it has been an historic tradition for the church. But preparing for the coming of Christ doesn't begin with the church. It begins way back in the Old Testament too. Over and over and over again, the prophets declare, get ready, prepare, watch, because the Messiah is coming. And when we come to the New Testament, the passage we read today, we find Jesus, again, using that same language, prepare, get ready, watch. Now, as we read that passage, you may have been thinking to yourself, what does that have to do with Advent? That doesn't sound anything like Mary and Joseph and, and a baby in a stable. That doesn't sound right. But historically, Advent is as much about the second coming of Christ as it is the first coming. Because the, the principles are the same. The need for preparation, the need for being ready, for watching. And just as the prophets give these admonitions to the Israelites so that when Jesus comes, they will be ready. So Jesus gives it to us so that we will be ready when he comes again. Now, one of the things that we think about when we, when we start thinking about the second coming is we get enamored with the wind. We're much more concerned about when than how, I find. And I guess that's human nature. We like to know when things are going to happen. But it intrigues me how often people want to set dates and times, you know, as Harold Camping did last spring. And, and the book years ago, you know, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Returning in 1988. And, you know, we have, we have all these people that want to set times and people that want to make charts and figure out exactly when all this is going to take place. And, and it... It's intriguing to me, especially when you read a passage like this, where in verse 32, Jesus says, no one knows about the day or the hour. Not even the angels in heaven, not even me, only the Father. So be on guard, be alert, because you don't know when that time will come. It's one of the clearest explanations in Scripture. No one knows, and yet something in us wants to know. I think maybe it has to do with our desire or yearning to control. 
Because when we know something, when we know about when something's going to happen, we feel a little bit more in control of the situation. You know, when you when you don't know what's going to, when you don't know when things are going to happen, there is a sense of 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 vulnerability, and we wonder, well, I don't know, should I do this now? Should I do it then? When is this going to happen? And you sort of live on the edge when you don't know. But Jesus makes it very clear that we aren't going to know. But I suspect the deeper part of our yearning to want to know has something to do with how in love with this world most of us are. Now, you might not have any connection with this, but as I was thinking about this idea, I remembered back to when I was young. I have two sisters, an older sister and a younger sister. We're all fairly close, within a five-year age range. And um, as we got older... And my parents went away on a trip. They would leave us at home by ourselves. Usually that worked pretty well. Uh, my sister got real bossy, but, you know, that's a whole other issue. But anyway, and here's the thing that would often happen. You know, back in those days, you didn't have cell phones, so you couldn't call and say, hey, we're, you know, we're about there. We're going to be there a certain time. They just leave. They, so they'd say to us, we're going to be back early evening on Friday. Here's what would happen. About Friday, on Friday, about 4 o'clock, we'd look around the house and go, yikes, this place is a pigsty. You know, dishes piled in the sink and food out on the counter and, you know, everything disheveled, you know, stuff all over the floor. Nobody made their bed, you know, all of that. And we realized something needs to happen here because mom's not going to be happy if we walk in the house like this. She walks in like this. But we weren't going to do anything about it until about 4 o'clock. And about 4 o'clock, then everything kicked into motion. And we all had our jobs, and we, you know, dishes were flying, and stuff was all over the place, and, you know, we, we were cleaning as fast as we could. We positioned my little sister periodically at the front window to let us know if they happened to pull in the driveway. Like, that would make any difference to us getting done sooner. I guess you could run out and stall them a little bit longer. But there was something in human nature that says, if it's at 6 o'clock, then I'll wait till 5 o'clock to worry about it. I mean, it's just it's the way we tend to operate. And, and I don't think we would be or any different in the spiritual realm. There is a tendency that we have that says, if it's going to be that day, then I'll, I'll wait till then to, before I worry about it. And we already do that anyway. We already think that we always have more time. And so you'll hear things like, well, when, you know, when, when I... When I have some free time, then I'll really study the Scriptures. When, when I retire, then, then I'll really start thinking, spirit, thinking seriously about Christ. When the kids get older, then we'll start worrying about teaching them the things of our faith. We, we already do these things. And I'm sure Jesus understands our inclination to live that way. But when you don't know, you always have to be ready. Now, there are examples of that all over our lives. You think about how uh, people who work in the fire department or police officers, you know, they have to be ready at a moment's notice. The siren goes off, the call comes in, they grab stuff and go. That's not the moment where you say, okay, now what do we do? You know, that's not the moment where you say, where do we put things? No, you go because you're ready. Someone was saying to me, the other day that, um, you know, that, that probably would be a good strategy for some classes. Uh, if the professor said at the beginning of the class, all right, we're going to have a huge exam during this class, but I don't know when it's going to be yet. You'll just walk in one day and I'll give you the exam. Now, you know, most students would be very unhappy about that because most of us, when we get the syllabus, say, okay, it's going to be on November 24th, so I'll start studying November 22nd. But... That not knowing, you always have to be ready. Someone else was saying, well, I, it's, it's sort of like being the backup quarterback on a football team. You know, in the, as you get into college and professional levels, the backup quarterback never plays at all until the starting quarterback gets hurt. Now, everybody else on the team plays sometime during the game. 
You may play on defense or offense or kickoffs or punts. Everybody gets in the game except the backup quarterback. If you ever watch a game, he's usually the guy on the sideline with his cap turned backwards holding a clipboard or giving signals to the people on the field. He doesn't play. But if the quarterback gets hurt, that's not the time for him to say, oh, where's the playbook? I guess I should probably look at that. He has to know it. He has to be ready to jump into the game and, and do the best that he can. But he can do that because he's been preparing, because he's ready, because he doesn't know exactly when he's going to be called on. And the ambiguity of not knowing causes us to decide if really, if Christ is important enough to us to prepare. If Christ is really important to us, then we want to prepare, and we live with a spirit of preparation and readiness. And our struggle to, to watch, I think, often belies our, our skewed view of salvation, or at least the skewed idea that we communicate about salvation. We, we tend to think that salvation is primarily about getting into heaven. And, and that is certainly a part of our, of our life with Christ. That's an important part of it. But when you live, if, you're, if your only mindset is, I'm, I want to be a Christian so that I can get to heaven, then you're going to delay that decision as long as you possibly can. I think the real, the real point of being a follower of Christ is what he does for us now. It's, it's living in the joy and the blessing and the grace and the love of Christ now. It's seeing our lives transformed now. And then when, when the time comes, yes, we have eternity with Christ and it'll be awesome. But it can be awesome now too. And that's what he wants for us. That's what he created us to be. And that's why Jesus came, to change us now, to change our lives now, to make us new creatures now. And the more we embrace that, the more we will think about preparing, watching, being ready. There's something of this that's, that I think is tied up in verse 30. It's a verse that's been very confusing and, and difficult for most of us through the years. If you've read it, he said, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Until all these things have happened, this generation is not going to pass away. Now you read that and you think, okay, now wait a second. That generation he was speaking to was 2,000 years ago. I'm pretty sure all of them have passed away by now. So what's going on? There are a lot of theories. I think the best theory is that Jesus is answering two questions. He's, a, he's addressing two issues in this passage, in this chapter. Chapter 13 begins as they're walking by the temple, and the disciples say, Jesus, look at this temple. Isn't it amazing? Look at what has happened here. Look what we've made. This is amazing, awesome. And Jesus says, you see all these great buildings? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. And the disciples asked, tell us, when's this going to happen? What will be the sign that's all about to be fulfilled? But Jesus doesn't answer that question then. I think it, he realizes that they are so enamored with these things they've made, with the stuff of this world, that they're completely missing the point about preparing for the kingdom. And so he shifts gears, and he says in the next 20-some verses, he talks about the second coming, the end times, that day that, that is, is up ahead, and preparing for that and getting ready for that. And then back in verse 28, he, he goes back to answering their original question. And in essence says, now about the temple, the destruction of Jerusalem, think about the fig tree. This generation will not pass away until these stones are a mass of rubble. And you need to know this because you get so wrapped up in the stuff of this world when you do, remember at some point, all this stuff is going to crash and burn. All this stuff is going to disappear. But my words, my truth, my kingdom is eternal. So what are you focused on? Where are your eyes? Where's your heart? What's your priority? And I think we miss so much of, of, of God because we are so wrapped up in this world rather than his world and the kingdom 
watching and preparing. So what does it mean to watch and to be ready? I think it has a lot to do with our attitude, with what's going on in our hearts, as much as what we may do. I read about a family that was sitting around Sunday dinner and they were discussing the sermon which happened to be on the second coming of Christ. Maybe you do that on, at Sunday dinner. I know that happens at our house. And um, so they were, they were talking about this and they had a teenage son who said, you know, there were a lot, I just don't understand a lot of this. And he had questions and the father tried to answer the questions as best that he could. And ultimately he said, look, it boils down to this. We're not going to know all the answers to these questions. So what you need to do is just live each day as if it were your last. And the teenage son said, whoa, 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 wait a second. I did that once, and you grounded me for a month. <laughs> I don't think that's what Jesus has in mind. I think he's talking about spiritual perception. And spiritual perception, as Jesus intends it here, is living life in which the eternal and the spiritual impinge on everything we do, everything we think, everything we say, every way that we treat one another. We make decisions about our lives based on spiritual truth rather than earthly human truth. We treat other people in a way that makes sense spiritually and eternally, even if it doesn't make sense in the way humans tend to view things. We judge what's important about life, not the way everyone else does, but the way God does. And that's what's most important to us. To choose to watch is to choose to live your life so that everything you do is influenced by looking for Christ. It's living in a spirit of anticipation about Christ's coming, not as something to fear, but as something to rejoice. The way we treat people and the places we go and the words that we say, the way we spend our free time, the focus of our existence, all of it hinges on this underlying anticipation of Christ's coming. And so we read the Scriptures because we want God to speak into our lives, not because we want to prove some theological point. And we engage ourselves in prayer because we want to know God more intimately, not so that we can convince God to give us what we want. And we have relationships with people, not so we can get from them, but so we can give. We just live our lives in this world, not thinking, how can I get the world to think I'm the center? But instead to think, how can I give of myself to this world, and to people in need the way Jesus does. And when we prepare ourselves to see Christ coming on that day, what we're really doing is preparing ourselves for Christ coming in the everyday common events of our lives now. The macro preparation leads to micro preparation. And the more properly we prepare for that grand and glorious unknown day, the more properly we prepare for the daily moments of Christ in our common lives. The more we are ready for that day, the more we see Christ at work in this day. We see him in other people. We see him in the circumstances that come to us. We see him in the scriptures we read, in the prayers we pray. We, our eyes are open to him because we're preparing, we're watching, we're looking. And our focus, our attention is on Christ more than on us. But it also, it's also true that the surest way to prepare for that day is to live this day focused on Christ. We are never more prepared for the day of his coming than when we are open and listening and watching for the voice and presence of Christ in every moment now. Watching for Christ coming into the world and into our lives doesn't mean that we sit around and do nothing. You know, watching, preparing doesn't mean that, that we just sort of hide in our homes and and, and wait for Christ to come back. When you, the parable that Jesus tells is very clear that everyone has work to do. And in fact, you get the impression that what makes the owner of the house 
so angry is that his servants are just lazing around. They're sleeping. They're not doing anything for the kingdom. But what they do for the kingdom doesn't make them ready. What makes them ready is having a heart open to the king that then leads them to live in such a way that reflects the nature of the king. Whenever I think about this watching, waiting, preparing, it always makes me think back to when I was in seminary. And for the first three years I was in seminary, I I worked in the emergency room at the University of Kentucky Medical Center. Now, I just want to be clear, I did no medical procedures on anyone. Uh, I did assist a couple of times with some suturing and things, but nothing was, you know, I I didn't do anything. I was a clerical assistant. I was the person everyone loves to talk to. So let me see your insurance card. Is this the same address that you always have? Uh, Who's your primary doctor? You know, all of that kind of thing. And also the person who, at the end of the time, collects the money, which was always fun too. But I I did learn a lot being there. And my family was stunned that I would work in an emergency room because they know how squeamish I always was about that kind of thing. When I was in high school, I had throat surgery. And what kept me up the night before was not the surgery. It was thinking, realizing that when I went to to be admitted, they were going to have to stick a needle in my arm and draw blood. That's what really had me worried, not the surgery itself. So they were pretty surprised, but I learned a ton being there. And I actually loved working there. It gave me a chance to interact with a whole wide range of people, and I built some great friendships being there. But the one thing that I noticed in working there was that preparation was essential. It's what made it happen. And I watched as as every time a patient was done in in a room, was discharged, either from a trauma room or from one of the regular rooms, as soon as that patient left, the first thing that happened was usually a nurse went in, cleaned up the room, and restocked everything. So that when the next patient came and they took them into that room, they weren't looking for stuff. They weren't wondering, where did the scissors go? Where are the sterile gauze? Where are the sutures? They knew where everything was. It was fully stocked and ready to go. That was the, that was the very first thing that happened as a person left the room. And no one stood out at the back doors watching for an ambulance. No one stood there, and their whole job was just to stand there and to wait for an ambulance to come. When we weren't busy, we were just living life together. And a lot of my memories of of working there are conversations I had with people. I had the privilege of having a number of spiritual conversations with people who worked there. They knew I was a seminary student. And they had questions, and we would engage in those conversations. But we also, you know, talked about U.K. basketball and talked about their families and their lives. And, you know, and we we ate meals together, and there were all these things that were going on as a part of that. And I realized the reason we could do that, the reason we could exist in that setting with sort of this, this peaceful sense of waiting was because we were ready. Everyone knew their job. Everyone knew where everything was. And as soon as someone came in, whether it was a gunshot victim, someone who'd been stabbed, someone who had an asthma reaction, whatever the case may be, as soon as they walked in the door, everybody kicked into action. But no one sat in panic waiting for the next person to come because what if we don't know what to do? What if they surprise us? Truthfully, every person that came was a surprise. We had no idea anyone was coming. But that was okay because everyone was prepared and ready. And if you want to live with a sense of joy and a sense of peacefulness, if you want to live with a a sense of, of, of the grace of God in your life, be ready. Watch, prepare. Think about your life in the everyday and God at the center of it. Think about your relationships in the everyday and ask God to be in the center of it. Think about your reading of Scripture and your prayers and ask God to open your eyes so that He's in the center of it. 
people who, who miss Jesus when he comes are not irreligious people, but they're people who are not ready. They go through all the religious motions, but their focus is not on God. It's on themselves. Their focus is not on the Messiah. It's on what they can get. Their focus is not the heart of Christ, the heart of God. It's on purely everything about them. And they miss him. So Jesus calls us to watch, to be people who are prepared and ready so that we don't miss him. So are we. Gracious Father, sometimes we think about that day and we are confused, we are uncertain, we wonder. Sometimes we feel a, a sense of fear, anxiety. Father, I pray that today and during this season of Advent that you will help us to be so watchful and mindful and ready for that day that it just totally transforms how we live this day. That our focus for that day and this one be on Christ. And we ask this through his grace. Amen. In closing this morning, we're going to sing together hymn number 109, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, and I invite you to stand as we sing together. Receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.